0: The Joyce Kaufman podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I have just been fighting this cold, it seems like, since uh, the week of Christmas. And here we are at the end of January. Uh, and the worst part, well, no, I guess the best part of this cold is I don't feel sick, but I have a cold. So I, I need, my my producer, Sharina, said to me, did you relax at all this weekend? And I started to laugh. You know, I don't know how to relax even when I'm sick. Unless I'm, like, hospitalized, the odds are I will find something that needs to be done and do it. But that's my work ethic. I've talked about that often. I'm a direct result of... Uh, uh, Herman and Aida, my parents, who I don't, I don't ever remember my father not going to work. And he had some serious health issues at one point, um, and my mother certainly did. My mother actually uh, had to get her gallbladder removed when I was about six years old, and I needed to get my tonsils taken out. So my mother decided it would be a great idea if we went into the hospital together and had our surgeries done. Now, I don't know why she decided that. I really don't. I don't know if, you know, I I presume we had health insurance of some kind because or else, you know, we were prepared to pay for it. I I just don't know. I was a little kid. But I remember her telling me, oh, it's nothing. I'm going to have my stomach cut open. You're just getting your tonsils taken out. You won't even know it. man. That was the most horrible experience. Even to this day, and I had that massive motorcycle accident which required long-term hospitalization and lots of operations. And even with that, that tonsillectomy was like the most uh, traumatic thing that ever happened to me. Like I woke up and my throat was killing me. (laughs) I was a little kid, and I don't know what kind of, you know, I think the reason my throat hurt was because in those days they used ether to knock you out. And so they put the ether down my throat and it was a nightmare. I, I mean, I'm really showing my age, right? Nobody does that. When was the last time anybody even remembered thinking about ether? You know, now they stick an IV into your arm and they tell you to count backwards from 10 and you never get to 8, you know? But it wasn't like that when I was a kid. And so my mother went in, and they really did. When I think about it now, the incision that was made to remove my mother's gallbladder was gigantic. And she hated that her whole life. That really, because my mother was just uh, drop-dead gorgeous, had been a beauty queen and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, she's sporting this, uh, you know, I don't know, must have been about 10-inch long um, scar on her belly she just never got over that meanwhile I was just mad that she made me take my tonsils out I didn't even know what my tonsils were I think I was an adult before I ever figured out what what neither of my children had their tonsils removed but either way I just you know and I don't know why that memory came back but I guess it's because I just don't know how to rest And I I laugh at people who tell me, well, you need to rest or you need to take some time off. And it's like, okay, you know. And how exactly do you propose I do that? You know, I have a radio career. I do my podcast. Uh, Mondays are a really busy day for me. Um, And I co-pastor a church. You know, when exactly is that rest period that you're (laughs) all referring to supposed to take place? At night, right? And I can't even do that. I lay down last night at 10 o'clock, which for me is right on target. And, you know, 10 o'clock is a good time for me to lay down. It means within a half an hour, hopefully, I'll be asleep. You know, I um, try to change the mood. Uh, Although on Sundays it's difficult because I want to watch the uh, Mark Levins show. And I don't get home until 9 o'clock. So I'm first watching that show. But I decided yesterday that I was going to watch it in my bedroom, something I never do. I don't watch television in my bedroom. But I decided that I was going to do that. And uh, I, was, I was passed out before Mike Pompeo ever got on. I got to see the first guest, who I can't even remember who that was right now, um, but I never made it to, to Mike Pompeo. Just the nature of how tired I was. So that was my sleep. And then at 5.15, my phone rang, and that was the end of that. And today I'm looking out at what, You know, what's on my agenda? Is there stuff that I could put aside? And I remembered that I have to cook for 20 people for tomorrow. (laughs) So I'm going to get a lot of it done this afternoon. So, so much for rest. But you know what? I'm really not complaining because I decided that to have lived as long as I've lived and to still have the amount of energy that I expend on any given day is really, you know, grace and mercy at its finest because I, um, I, don't, I don't do these things begrudgingly. It's not like I went to speak begrudgingly or I do any of these things um, wishing that I could do something else. I, I really do relish the opportunities I have to go into the jails, to go uh, teach a Bible study, to whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm just grateful that I have sufficient evidence, uh, e- energy sufficient evidence i was thinking about that what is the evidence that led them to raid the president of the united states house i don't even mean donald trump i'm talking about joe biden i mean they went in there you know now he wasn't home and they were a lot more i'm i'm guessing they were a, a lot more diplomatic than they might have been at mar-a-lago just saying but they went in nonetheless. You know, um, why? They had to have probable cause. Experts and all these officials all weekend long were weighing in on the search, and uh, they went back to President Joe Biden's home. Um, Now, obviously, he must have consented to that search uh, because I didn't hear about a search warrant or anything like that. And apparently, the Department of Justice took possession of materials uh, that it thought it had a right to Six items and consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from his pres- when he was the uh, vice president under Barack Obama, and some of when he was in the Senate. Wow. They also took for further review personally handwritten notes from the vice presidential years. Assistant U.S. Attorney Joseph Fitzpatrick confirmed to news outlets that the FBI executed a planned consensual search of the president's residence in Wilmington, Delaware. Former Chief Assistant U.S. Attorney Andy McCarthy, however, wrote Saturday that Biden had no choice on whether to allow the FBI to search his home. You don't consent to an FBI search because you're Mr. Cooperation. You consent because there was probable cause of crimes. If he didn't agree, the next step would have been a special counsel getting a search warrant and he wanted to avoid that. On Saturday, uh, Bauer issued another statement and said Biden and the White House were cooperating fully with the Justice Department investigation. Previously classified documents were discovered at Biden's residence and office, leading Attorney General Merrick Garland to announce a special counsel investigation. At the outset of this matter, the president directed his personal attorneys to fully cooperate with the Department of Justice. Now, I believe Donald Trump did the same thing, but it didn't go down the same way, did it? Uh, In the interest of moving the process forward as expeditiously as possible, we offer to provide prompt access to his home. Let me tell you something. You know, all I see is these guys tap dancing on TV about this is very different than former President Donald Trump because he self-reported. Oh, please. You know, the only reason he self-reported, and we all know this to be true, is because there was uh, sufficient evidence that something fishy is going on in the Biden residence, right? This investigation is going to take months. And of course, it'll lead right up to the next election. So Joe Biden is now very damaged goods. You see the Democrats uh, just leaving him in the dust. They're not going to stand by him. You can forget that. Um, they'd like to keep us focused on George Santos, who, by the way, I think should step down immediately. I said that last week, and I think it's even more uh, profound now. I mean, you know, this guy didn't just lie about who he is and what he'd done and where he worked, but now they've found all these, uh, you know, fi- campaign finance discrepancies. You know, suddenly this guy goes from being broke and making like, you know, $40,000 a year to making $750,000 a year and pumping a lot of money into his campaigns. At least $705,000 worth of personal loans, that's three quarters of a million dollars almost, my friends, into his 2022 campaign, and more than 80,000 he did during his 2020 road, uh, run, rather. And a form in 2020 showed that he only made $55,000 that year And he didn't have any other assets or income or liabilities. My thought of the day is about this. And I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to have Rick Sanchez on this week because I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, this just stinks. It really does. How do you make that money to pump $705,000, loan it into his campaign? Where do you get that money from? Don't tell me he was you know, suddenly went from being worth $57,000 a year to an employer to being worth $750,000 from his new company, Devoider, or DeVolder, whatever it's called. The company had holdings between a million and five million in a savings account. $100,000 to or 250,000 in checking accounts and an apartment in Rio de Janeiro valued at about a half a million or a million dollars, I don't know, a whole lot of money, okay? a whole lot of money. He told radio station WABC, and then he told the D- Daily Beast that he withdrew money from his company as his salary, then used it to fund his campaign. What did this company do? They were in the capital introduction business. Huh? Okay. Okay. Well, what I will do is go look out there within my Rolodex and be like, hey, you looking for a plane? Are you looking for a boat? I just put the feelers out there. In other words, he didn't have a job. If you're looking at a $20 million yacht, my referral fee can be between 200000 and 400000 Really? If you're making that kind of money, why are you running for, uh, um, never mind. Uh, it's all so bizarre. And what he needs to do is get the heck out out of the House where the Republicans are trying to do something, and all they do is answer questions about him. You know? And it's, it's, there's, no, there's no point. You know? He is dragging down a party that's uh, struggling at best with a very slim majority. And then you know, you got these pictures all over the internet of him in drag. I mean, come on. I know that it's highly fashionable now to be uh, gender-curious or um, what are the expressions they use? Uh, Non-binary and transgender. this. This guy, over three years, you know, partied in drag. Not just once, like he said. First, he said he never did it. Then he said he did it once for fun at a festival, and now we have videos that show he made appearances in drag over a three-year period. His drag persona had a name, Kitara Ravaje. I mean, come on, guys. This guy can't be taken seriously. So get him out. You know, stop playing. If the seat goes to a Democrat, oh, well. You can't afford to have this this drag queen dragging the whole party down now, can you? But they they don't get it. You know, they're more worried. This is what kills me, okay? They are more worried about the supposed drag that Donald Trump will have on Republicans than they are about this drag queen. That tells you everything you need to know. That's everything you need to know, and then today it's all these uh, headlines. Well, you know the the evangelical leaders—they're not supporting Donald Trump this time. And uh, Reverend Franklin Graham wants to wait and see who else is in the primary. I'm going to stay out of it until after the primaries have finished. Um, you know, meanwhile, Franklin Graham's like me—he walked away from the Republican Party before Donald Trump became uh, the candidate. And it was only Donald Trump that, you know, gave him any nice words to say about the uh, Republican National Committee. And, and they're in a complete uh, tailwind downspin. Now, of course, I did not mention yet that Ron Klein is uh, exit stage left. Let me ask you, would you want to be chief of staff now as every uh, week we come up with new classified documents that uh, Joe Biden just forgot inadvertently? misplaced in a place where, where his son, who at the time was a crack addict working for Barisma, was living with all these classified documents. I'm just saying, if George Santos smells to high heaven, what about Hunter Biden? Just asking, just asking the question. And meanwhile, everybody's picking on Donald Trump. Oh, did he say he didn't know silk at the memorial? He paid for that whole memorial for diamond. Anyway. They're just—they're just lost. Everybody, everybody basically except me is lost. Just kidding, just kidding. But I just do seem to have a more, you know, a, a better uh, grasp on things than even people who claim to have great grasps. Anyway, don't forget to download the 850 app. Don't forget to visit the 850 website. Don't forget to participate in every contest and maybe win some great prizes. And certainly get that app so you can get. Uh, all of the news, breaking news, come right to your phone, and you listen to all the podcasts, like my No Restraint podcast. I got a new one dropping today, and uh, it's a doozy. I talk about, uh, you know, uh, the exodus of police officers in America, as well as talking about Gavin Newsom and his wife, who are a power couple, and they're so corrupt that. Open the books, finally had to open the books on Jennifer, or whatever her name is, uh, Siebel Newsom and her husband Gavin, who participate in making uh, racy films that are being shown in schools that the state of California is actually paying for. His wife's it's such a myth. Stay right where you are, though. I'll be back in just a moment. All right, and then, of course, the, the story. And, and, you know, I'm just so disgusted by the media, and I know I'm part of the media, so I'm basically disgusted with myself as well. But um, I I just, I guess it was uh, early yesterday where I passed the television set, or it might have even been Saturday night, I don't remember. But I, I remember I passed the television set, Yeah, it was early yesterday. And I'm looking at a press conference in L.A. Now, I always listen uh, to these stories about California, first and foremost, because California's such a mess, you know, and I just need to know what's going on. And when it says Los Angeles, I got a son and a daughter-in-law and two babies, two grandchildren that live in Los Angeles, my son Derek and his wife Mary and Nixon and Carter my grandkids. And so I'm like, you know, I, uh, uh, my ears perk up and I hear there's a mass shooting. So now I'm nervous, right? It's in Monterey park. I happen to know where Monterey park is because, um, if you want some really good, uh, asian food and i don't necessarily mean chinese food i mean like they have like vietnamese restaurants and they have all kinds of uh, asian restaurants in monterey park and you know my kids are fanatics about like you want the most realistic cuisine you know you don't go to you know the the neighborhood chinese restaurant for takeout you have to drive somewhere where a lot of uh, people live that are asian and so i've been to monterey park It's probably about 20 minutes from where my son lives. Uh, That's what I remember. And so I hear that the shooting was there. Now, in the beginning, you know, the commentators, and I think I was walking by Fox, so it was like uh, Arthel Neville and that stern-looking guy that does shows with her, and I'm walking by. And all I hear is that it was a uh, uh, an assault weapon. It's always an assault weapon, a large capacity magazine. Now, it turns out that it was a, a handgun, but it had a large capacity uh, magazine attached to it, which, may I remind you, all of the above is not legal in L.A. County, and it's certainly not legal anywhere in the state of Florida without extreme licensure. So... You know, immediately, even conservative commentators are wondering how this gun, you know got there. And then they begin with the reports. They're looking for a white van. okay, they're looking for a white van. and uh, they're, they they're not sure. Who, who the uh, perpetrator was, but the victims were all Asian. Is this a hate crime, okay? And immediately, it's all of this discussion. And this is why I'm so glad sometimes when I'm not on the air during one of these live events, because you instinctively begin to guess, and the worst thing you can do is guess, right? Because if this is a hate crime against the Asian community, well then, who did it? Is it gonna end up being some white supremacist? Is it gonna end up being a black nationalist? Is it gonna end up being whatever? I mean, that's immediately the conversations that begin to happen. And, and they're kinda careful, but not that careful, right? They imply all kinds of things in the commentary. And then we get a, a, a picture of who the person is that was seen fleeing the place and he is obviously Asian, okay? So now, all of the coverage is diminished. It was wild to observe this, and maybe some of you observed it as well, right? It went from like, you know, breaking news, we're not gonna cover anything else today except this mass shooting, and then all of a sudden, when the picture of the guy came, and then when they actually uh, surrounded the van and he shot himself, um, the coverage dropped to a whisper. Now it was, you know, maybe you'd see a, 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 a small blurb that the White House issued that the uh, flags be flown at half staff at all federal posts uh, marking, uh, you know, respect for the victims of a, quote, senseless act of violence. Now, I'm here to discuss how at the Lele Ballroom and the Star Dance Studio, uh, people don't go there expecting to get shot. They go there for ballroom dancing, both of the facilities. And you know, I have to be—you know—I never knew that uh, that there was a big you know ballroom dancing community in. Uh, in Monterey, or actually, I I don't remember seeing a lot of uh, Asians uh, doing ballroom dancing here in South Florida, you know, predominantly, you know, you're going to see a lot of Hispanics and a lot of, uh, you know, old white people. No offense to the old white people who dance, but you know who you are. And so I'm thinking to myself, what is this? You know, why would, uh, uh, if you're a, uh, and it was some kind of festival, the Lantern Festival or some, some kind of uh, Lunar New Year's, I, I I forgot what it was, but there's some kind of, you know, partying going on in these communities. And I'm thinking, if you're gonna go and you hate Asian people, do you go to a ballroom? It, it, just, it just seemed odd to me. And now I know it was odd because this is not, the hate crime that everybody initially almost hoped it was that's what really hurt my feelings on yesterday was that people were actually disappointed that it wasn't a hate crime and they just stopped covering it you know no big deal some guy must have been disgruntled about you know his wife or girlfriend or something you know all i've heard actually today regarding this was, uh, you know, somebody said that uh, he wasn't invited or something out dancing. I don't know. I I have no idea what that, you know, what actually um, this shooting was all about. But it wasn't a white supremacist who did the shooting. It wasn't a black nationalist who did the shooting. And so all of a sudden, we're now searching for the motive and it's not that interesting to people. Yeah, the suspect is a 72-year-old Hu Khan Tran killed himself in his van after he was attempting to flee, after attempting to attack a second dance hall. And the story is, the mayor said that he uh, frequented the first dance hall. dance hall rather. And then they went on to say the massacre was the nation's fifth mass killing this month and struck one of California's largest celebrations of a holiday observed in many Asian cultures, dealing another blow to a community that has been the target of high-profile violence in recent years. So even though it had nothing to do with white supremacy and other high-profile violence in recent years, they have to make that, that assertion, right? It was also the deadliest attack since May of last year when uh, the people in Uvalde, in the in the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, were killed, we don't know much about this guy yet. But boy, the the drop off in interest about this story was profound to me. We do understand that he may have had a history of visiting this dance hall, and perhaps the motivation has to do with some personal relationships. Uh, you see, that's not and it, that's not interesting. And it's not. So now we'll focus on the semi-automatic pistol with an extended magazine and a second gun that they found in the van. That will become the only thing that the media wants to talk about. Trust me. And they found the hero. That's right. They found somebody who had the courage to stop the shooter. Brandon Say, who was in the lobby of the Lele Ballroom in the nearby city of Alhambra, and he thought he was going to die, and then he realized, I better get the weapon away from him. I need to take this weapon, disarm him, or else everybody's going to die. So I lunged at him with both my hands, grabbed the weapon, and we had a struggle. And then he picked up the gun and pointed it at the shooter and said, get the hell out of here. I'll shoot. Go away. The assailant paused, then headed back to his van and say, call the police, the gun's still in his hand. So I'm just going to say, no matter what they tell you on Good Morning America when they show you this uh, footage and all the rest of it, the two men struggling for the gun, once again, the story the media is not interested in is really how a good guy with a gun stopped a bad guy with a gun. There's just not enough clicks in that story. Anyway, I'm going to take a break. You stay right where you are. I'll be right back. And then as if it wasn't bad enough that I can't trust anything that I hear in the news, I'm reading a story uh, early this morning, right after I did all my reading and, you know, prayer and meditation and stuff. And it says, as the U.S. adjust to an increasingly non-religious population, thousands of churches are closing each year, probably accelerated by COVID, Right. The congregations are dwindling. A younger generation of Americans have abandoned Christianity altogether, even though it's still a you know a pretty integral part of even our American politics. But as we adjust to this increasingly non-religious population, they can't sustain themselves churches. And COVID just uh, knocked the, the legs right out from under a lot of the churches and the pastors. Um, and those are hard decisions, you know. When do you say there's just not enough people to keep a church open? You know, fortunately for someone like me, we have a small church and we, have, uh, we don't have great expenses, and, uh, you know, so much of it is just acts actually, all, all, we have no staff. It's all um, voluntary. And whatever money is, is given by the congregation supports the, you know, the ministry, supports the you know, the 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 stuff that you have to have. You gotta pay your light bill, you gotta pay your taxes, you gotta do things. Uh, although nonprofits don't have as much of a tax burden, they still have taxes. They got property taxes. They got, you know, we need repairs. You know, it's keeping up even a little church isn't cheap. And so if you have a, a church that's, uh, you know, one of these, somewhere between a little church and a mega church, and you lose half of your population, you can't stay open, you know. Um, about 4,500 Protestant churches closed in 2019 and about 3,000 new churches opened. So that means that there was a difference of 1,500, okay? So 1,500 gone, 3,000 come. I mean, uh, 4,500 gone, 3,000 come, that's a $1,500 dif- uh, $1, 1, number differential. It was the first time that the number of churches in this country hadn't grown since they started studying this, you know, since they started compiling data and records. So then the pandemic came and it speeded up this trend of Americans turning away from Christianity. And, um, and the closures accelerated. The closures, even for a temporary period of time, impacted a lot of churches. See, when people break habits, like the habit of attending church, it's hard to get people to come back, especially when the alternative was presented that you could watch it online. You could watch in your pajamas. You never have to leave your bedroom. You know, nobody uh, is, is even aware of your being there. I mean, s- sometimes if, you, if the church streams on Facebook, people can see who's online online. But for many of us, we don't know who's online. We only know if someone tells us. And we have dozens of people who watch our services online from all over uh, Japan, from uh, England, from from the Bahamas. And, And so we know them. So we know that there are, in fact, people watching online. But that does not support most ministries. Because what it says is that you're not you don't understand that you have forsaken the fellowship that's sort of mandatory you know it, obedience is worth more than a sacrifice so people who don't fellowship together who don't come to church are really uh, you know going to drift out of their their faith quite easily they're saying now that even at the big churches and i'm looking at big churches here in in uh, County and, and in Palm Beach County, that it's about eighty-five percent of pre-pandemic l- uh, levels, which means you've got to reduce. You've got to reduce things. You've got to, um, you've got to change how much ministry you're able to do. You have to change how many services you're going to do. You know, I went over to the bookstore at a big church in Fort Lauderdale. And this bookstore used to take up, like, it was gigantic. I mean, it was like uh, like a Barnes & Noble, almost. And now it's part of a cafe, and it's really rather small. I mean, it's not even as big as a, as a bedroom. Or maybe it's about as big as a bedroom. And I was thinking to myself, this used to be like a, you know, a, a, a massive bookstore with lots of, not just books, but all kinds of, uh, you know, Christian goods and, and, and T-shirts and mugs and, and statue. you know, whatever you were looking for, you could find it there. And now it's like, you know, five or six bookshelves and a couple of T-shirts and go get a cup of coffee. That tells me something, you know. This was a logistical change. People just can't afford to use that much space if no one is going to be there. At least if you put a cafe in it like they did, you sell coffee. Sell goodies, you know, they were selling scones and and stuff. And maybe you can stay uh, afloat. In 1972, 92% of Americans said they were Christians. Okay? Since the 90s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the ranks of people who say they are agnostic. Or even atheist. (laughs) Or they say, I'm nothing in particular. (coughs) Um, This is an ex-Christian country right now. Nonverts, not converts, nonverts. According to a professor of theology and the sociology of religion at St. Mary's University. He said, it's been a generational change. Grandparents might have been regular churchgoers, and their children would say they believe in God but not go to church regularly. And by the time the millennials came around, they had little experience or relationship with church going or religion. In the Catholic church in particular, there was just too much that went down, uh, the sexual abuse scandals. It drove people away who only had a, a tenuous connection to the faith. And of course, the other thing is the pandemic. A lot of people who were weakly attached you know, to suddenly have months of not going, they're thinking, well, we don't really need to go. Or, or we found something else to do. or It was hard enough dragging the kids along then, but um, are we really going to start to go again? And so you see that most other countries saw a move away from religion earlier than we did. But, um, you know, we were fortunate. We had particular circumstances that slowed things down. Canada, Britain, France, Australia, New Zealand, Um, in the wake of the 1960s uh, baby boom generation, this kind of separation of traditional Christian values, morals, morality, all that stuff. You know, it was going down uh, abroad and what happens in America is that uh, unlike Britain, we are a very explicit kind of Christian America Versus a very godless kind of communism framing. And to be non-religious is to be un-American. And that held things for a while. But that's over. You know, when people leave, congregations dwindle. And when that gets to a critical point, churches close. And that leads to a flood of churches available for sale. I can't even tell you how many times I get solicited. You want to buy this church? You want to buy that church? And a range of opportunities for these once used for holy business buildings. A real estate company that specializes in church sales said the last 10 years has seen a spike in sales. Frequently churches become housing or care homes while some of the churches are bought by other churches wanting to expand. But selling a church isn't like selling a house or a business. Uh, The seller wants a buyer who plans to use the church for a good cause. You know, somebody just sold a church in El Paso, now it's housing illegal immigrants. And a convent in Pittsburgh is gonna be used for affordable housing. The faith-based transaction is very different in so many ways from the for-profit transaction. We're not looking to profit from transactions. If, If we were to sell our church building, we're not looking to, you know, to become rich off that. We would want it only to be used for the same purpose that we used it. For spreading the gospel, you know. And it's not evenly spread throughout the country, by the way. In Texas, there are fewer churches for sale than in most other states. Um, fortunately, in Florida, there are fewer churches for sale. But you start to look at some of these blue states and you start to look at some of these uh, northwestern states, they're struggling to keep the doors open. And that is not good for society. It's just not. You know, non-religious populations um, aren't worried about what happens to them when they, you know, commit theft or murder or break any of the commandments. They're not worried about it. And if they're not worried about it, you'll have crime more prevalent. There's no question in my mind. You know, even when you look at those old movies, I was watching an old movie the other day of, uh, you know, gangsters in the... 30s or the 20s and you know all those boys were good catholic boys and 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 they they still had some morals and family values and they tried to shield their families from the crime and the violence but now you're not going to compare that to ms 30 ms 40 or whatever ms 40 um you're not those are violent gangs and that's what we see cartel gangs all over the place. And trust me, they're not going to church on Sunday. Anyway, let me take a break. Don't forget coming up at one o'clock is Dan Bongino at four o'clock, the one and only Ben Shapiro at six o'clock, the WPTV news. And then we have, uh, you know, pegs and, and Lars Larson and the morning crew back tomorrow morning at 6am. So, um, you basically can leave your dial just where it is. And I'm going to come back and finish today's show. Stay right where you are. So, if you want to hear like one of the sickest things I've heard in a long, long time, it has to be that all of a sudden the morons on the left, and that's who it is, these woke idiots, right? With their, you know, everybody, you know, can pick and choose their genders and all the rest of it, right? They have now said that the song Natural Woman which is like one of my favorite Aretha Franklin songs. Aretha actually wrote that song with Carol King, who's of course one of the great songwriters, right? Coffin King, but, but it was Franklin King for that song. And if you've never heard the song, I mean, I don't know why. It's probably one of her biggest hits. You know, you make me feel like a natural woman except I'm so low that with my cold, I can't do justice. But they decided that it is offensive because it encourages acts of harm against transgender women. Now, I just, I just want you to, to stop for a minute and think about how ridiculous these people are. They're saying the Transcultural Mindfulness Alliance, whatever the hell that is, says on Twitter, there is no such thing as a natural woman. This song has helped inspire acts of harm against transgender women. Now, really, does anybody believe that some moron who's out there hunting transgendered women, I don't know that we've ever actually identified a group of people or an organization uh, like TCMA that defends them. I never think we've had an organization that tries to harm them. But th- th- does anybody really believe that they listen to old Aretha Franklin songs? Like, you know, l- let's try and wrap our mind about who they usually tell us is doing this kind of stuff. Well, it's white supremacists. So it's the first, first thing you're going to be told is that the white supremacists are out there and they are hurting transgendered women. Okay? So you're telling me that white supremacists have you know a, a, a real penchant for Aretha Franklin's nineteen sixty eight song "Natural Woman"? Really, I find that extremely hard to believe. I mean, Aretha Franklin was one of the few people in the planet who united people from all walks of life. Every time she opened her mouth, people loved her songs. You know, respect. Back in twenty fifteen. Carol King was getting the Kennedy Center Honor Lifetime Achievement Award, whatever, you know, these people always patting themselves on the back and patting each other on the back, okay. So Aretha Franklin came out, she was 73 years old at the time, the late, great Aretha Franklin, comes out and sits down at the piano, something she seldom did, and she brought the house down with a performance of that song that she wrote with Carol King, right? And it's such a beautiful song, Even the New York Times wrote in a tribute to her when she died in 2018 that 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 single was felt so deeply by Aretha Franklin when she sang it that night in 2015. The performance that night was so moving that it brought then-President Barack Obama, arguably the wokest president in American history, to tears. That's right. It was so... Uh, inspirational that the president of the United States was like crying in the audience. You know, this is a woman who's a hero to everybody, to feminists, to, to blacks, to, to until this ridiculous tweet, right? This is, uh, you know, this was the woman who wrote the screenplay for the biopic Respect that stars Jennifer Hus- Hudson, was Aretha Franklin's sister, Carolyn, who was gay. I didn't even know that Carolyn was gay until the the movie, Respect, came out. I don't think anybody knew. And so, wow. Why would the LGBTQ community be targeting this this song and this and, and Aretha Franklin, think about that. Carolyn was a preacher's kid too, just like Aretha. world famous preacher. And then you're a gay person and you're deciding you're going to live your truth. And Aretha never questioned it. Aretha stood up for her sister the whole time. That's why when you hear this crap, this trans rights activist group going after, Oh, you know Aretha Franklin songs. It's not only absurd; it's downright offensive. You know, and, and it's I'm I don't, I'm not a birthing person, or a pregnant person. I never was. I was a mother. I was a pregnant woman. It's crazy. You know now. Now I gotta be. Uh, I gotta stop listening to songs that that make some trans organization freaked out you have to be kidding no one cancels Aretha Franklin plus that's such a great song right you know there is definitely such a thing as a natural woman and these morons need to learn it that was like the theme song of my pregnancy that was the day that I felt like I became a natural woman that's all there is to it. It doesn't perpetuate any kind of stereotype. This is crazy, just crazy. But hey, these are the times we live in, you know? No gas stoves for you. And and no Aretha Franklin's natural woman to be played in anywhere where woke people go. Fortunately, I don't really go anywhere where woke people go anymore. I've decided it's just not worth it, right? Mm-mm. Anyway, that pretty much does it for me today. I got a couple of interesting guests coming up the rest of the week as much as I don't really like doing guests, but I, we got to talk about Cop City and what happened in Atlanta this weekend. We'll get to that tomorrow, I promise. And Ron Klein, who's uh, hit the road, Ron. And don't you come back no more, no more. I don't know who's going to replace him. They're saying the COVID guy, the COVID czar. We'll see. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon. If it be his will and he delays his coming, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us, well, those are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you and may God bless the United States of America.